This is a really critical one. Have you tried to limit your behaviour or stop but have failed? Repeated efforts to stop, failed efforts to stop in spite of negative consequences is when we really start using the language of addiction. Welcome to the P Word podcast brought to you by Naked Truth Project. We aim to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of porn. And this podcast is going to equip you to talk about and tackle pornography in your church and in your community. Hi, my name's Ian Henderson. I'm the founder of the Naked Truth Project, and I'm joined here by. Hi everyone, my name's Kat Etherington. I'm the Recovery Director for Naked Truth Project. And we're going to be talking with you throughout this series, or as the Americans like to call it, season of uh, episodes about how you as a church, as you as a Christian, can talk about and tackle the issue of pornography. And this episode, we're particularly going to focus on science versus scripture, which is a bit of a weird title maybe when it comes to porn anyway. I don't know. But uh, the reason we wanted to bring this up right at the beginning of the uh, season is because we work in all sorts of different ways, but we talk about open eyes and free lives. So we talk about how we can do education and awareness. Uh, So that might be working in schools or working in churches, trying to help people understand uh, the damaging impact of porn, but also how we work in free lives. So bringing recovery, hope, healing, help to those that struggle and those who are impacted by those that struggle. And in both our, our areas of work, we often find, particularly with Christians, that people come and say, well, okay, so, but isn't this just a kind of discipleship thing? Isn't this just a prayer? Don't we just need to pray for people? Did you find that, cap? particularly because you work in recovery? Absolutely, yeah. These kind of people who um, perhaps feel like they're not faithful enough if they need any kind of additional support. They maybe feel like they're doing something wrong as Christians, that they can't just stop or get over the pain that they're feeling or the behaviours that they're involved in. And and so there's definitely this kind of sense of I'm either spiritual or I'm therapeutic or this sort of what's in between that space. Yeah, and there's, as Kat says, there's the user who might be looking at this in, how am I meant to help myself? Am I meant to be going for prayer ministry or am I meant to be going to therapy? Which, Which is the right thing to do. But equally, you might, we have church leaders and other leaders saying, well, okay, what's my church's response to an issue like pornography. I'm reading about it a lot more. I'm kind of seeing that it's obviously a bit of a growing issue amongst my congregation or my community. So what should the church be doing? Should we be starting to have prayer ministry? Uh, Should we start doing kind of like spiritual responses? Or is there a place for kind of professional responses? Should we be bringing in specialists and counsellors and therapists and coaches who, who can help people? And that is a common question uh, we get asked. And so that's why we wanted to tackle it right at the beginning because Naked Truth is uh, a group of Christians. We believe in prayer. We believe that God changes things. We believe in his power uh, to bring change and transformation into people's lives. But also a lot of us are professionals in terms of these guys have learn the kind of therapeutic stuff and the professional clinical responses to this issue as well. And I think the reason why we 
do that is because I believe that as humans, we are hybrids. These days, a lot of people, I drive a hybrid car and a lot of people do, you know, which is a mixture of it's electric and petrol. Uh, And I think that actually we as humans, how God has created and designed us is that we are hybrid of flesh and spirit. I believe that uh, however you kind of read Genesis, literally or as, as a kind of a narrative or an analogy, I think the message is certainly strong that God has created us as physical beings. You know, we are flesh and blood and we have, you know, chemicals running around our brains that enable us to do things that are physical, but he breathes his spirit into us, the Ruach of God, you know, the spirit of God, the breath of God is in us too. So Adam and Eve are formed and then God breathes his spirit into them. And so we are this incredible hybrid of flesh and blood, bones and body and everything else, but there's something more. There is, we are spirit too. Uh, We're not like the angels that are fully spirit and we're not like the animals that are maybe fully flesh we're this this hybrid and so i don't think it's surprising therefore that uh when it comes to an issue like pornography for some people that is a spiritual thing for some it's more physical and for most it's both i certainly know some people who have received prayer and suddenly it went away like that. The desire, the craving, the the kind of compulsion disappeared just after some friends or some ministry time and receiving prayer. And for others have been prayed for and have prayed time and time again and find that it's still a battle and it's still a struggle. And yet when they've gone to maybe counselling or, or they've joined support groups or whatever and they've been able to identify some of the other things that are going on perhaps in their brains and some of the things that they're dealing with and the attachment stuff and just some of the stuff that's going on that might be seen as more scientific, that that's made a difference. And so we definitely believe in both and the importance of both, don't we? We do. And I think that you know, it's, it's almost sad to see them pitted against each other because it, certainly in the work that we do in recovery, we really see that hybrid nature really come together that as maybe you get some therapeutic support, you can you can begin to open spiritually in a way that you've never been able to before because of shame holding you back or because of some neurochemical imbalance that's been created or whatever it is. And so, you know, you, you can see it that way that, that through a therapeutic intervention, there can be spiritual growth and likewise you can see it the other way that through spiritual growth someone can become more open to seeking a kind of treatment that they haven't been open to having before and so I um, one of my favorite things in the work that we do is watching those two things come together absolutely and um Perhaps another way, another analogy that might be helpful, particularly if you're listening to this as a church leader or someone who's kind of involved in church life, church work, is um, perhaps to, particularly as we talk about pornography, think about maybe another type of of a compulsive behavior. So maybe think about alcoholism, for example. And if you had someone in your congregation who was an alcoholic, who is their life has become destructive because of their alcohol use, it's become compulsive. They don't seem to be able to stop, even though they're seeing the negative ripples across their life. You might have a multifaceted approach to that, helping and supporting and walking with that person. So of course, you're going to pray for them. Of course, you're going to 
meet with them and pray with them. But chances are you're going to also think, yeah, maybe they need to join something. Maybe they need to be in a 12-step a group. Maybe they need to get some therapy. Maybe there needs to be more than one approach to supporting this person. Probably what you're not going to say is try harder to stop. You're, you're going to recognize that this is something that is deeper emotionally and, and physically and spiritually, that this isn't just a, a habit that needs to be broken, that it's something that um, it does need time and does maybe need healing, does need addressing. And that, yes, that kind of spiritual and practical response is, is part of that. And we would certainly say with many people who are struggling with porn, it, it is at that level, isn't it? It is, it is of a similar level to something like alcohol. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I guess addiction as a word feels like a big, scary kind of a word. And there's certainly a spectrum when it comes to people using any type of behavioural substance problematically. And, you know, hopefully we get to talk to people while they're on the bottom end of the spectrum that maybe they have just got a bit of a bad habit. And those might be the people for whom a more spiritual intervention is going to work much sooner. But, but sadly, a lot of the people that we get to meet are right on the other end of the spectrum where maybe they've they've been trying to deal with it through various different means including the spiritual for a good number of years and it's gone beyond a habit now it's like you said a compulsion an addiction a thing I, I can't eradicate from my life no matter how much I'm praying and I guess a lot of the people at that end of the spectrum are kind of spiritually confused to themselves you know they're wondering why isn't God just taking this away from me and so there's definitely spiritual work to do there as a lot of people need to re-understand their relationship with God and, and kind of their experience of that. But yeah, we're definitely talking um, with our clients about people who are using pornography in a way that is seriously impacting their life. So these podcast episodes are a mixture of Kat and I having a little bit of a chat around some of these topics, but also we're bringing in extracts from our P Word conference. And we're going to play those to you. And then Kat and I will maybe have a, a, a chat about each one briefly. And so the first one is from Dr. Paula Hall. Now, Paula is a leading expert in porn addiction. And we've already mentioned this. We've mentioned that Porn can become addictive for some. And so what does that even mean? I think people are becoming slightly more aware that maybe porn is addictive, maybe even to the point where everyone uses the language perhaps too much, you know, like everyone's sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm addicted to porn. And, and so Paula is going to unpack that really. And for you, maybe as you're listening and you're thinking of perhaps of individuals already that are kind of in your mind, uh, perhaps use this, this kind of... Um, a framework that Paula unpacks of this is what addiction looks like. And if someone kind of meets this criteria, then perhaps they're going to kind of need specialist support. If they don't, then maybe there's a different kind of support. We definitely want to support, but how do we support will be really important to, to kind of discern by using a framework like this. So let's listen to what Paula has to say about addiction. So how can you identify if someone has become addicted so questions you can ask, does your porn use or sexual behaviour have a negative impact on other 
areas of your life in some respect this is is kind of pointing out the the, the obvious but um, I often get asked what's the difference between a habit and an addiction um, in reality probably not a lot in, in biochemical terms and there's probably a few nuances um, but the real difference is how much of a negative impact it is having on your life so is it impacting your relationship your primary relationship is it impacting your your faith of course if you're working with someone who's christian um does it have an impact on your studies on your work life on your finances on your self-esteem how you feel about yourself is it having a negative impact two um does it contradict your personal values are you you engaging in behaviors whether that's viewing pornography or sex chat or whatever it is that is not right for you and i do think it's really important we're talking about your personal values are you contradicting your own personal values three this is a really critical one have you tried to limit your behavior or stop but have failed repeated efforts to stop failed efforts to stop in spite of negative consequences is when we really start using the language of addiction and four and this again is a, a really significant one in recognizing addiction have you noticed that you need more and more stimuli or risk in order to achieve the same level of arousal and excitement and this is all about building tolerance um so in in alcohol terms you know when one glass of wine doesn't make you tipsy anymore you need two or three or four or a whole bottle that's when you really know that it's where or wine doesn't do it at all so you're onto the spirits so we know in addiction that tolerance develops and and that again is the real hallmark of something becoming an addiction is that it's escalating you're spending more and more time you're taking more and more risks you're looking at more hardcore porn it's gone offline as well. So really important to recognize, particularly I think when, you know, if, if, if you're working with somebody who's a Christian, moral conflict is not sufficient to diagnose addiction. It may still be a problem, of course, but it is not sufficient to diagnose addiction. Uh, let me use an, an, another kind of simile, which will help. And this, this happens sometimes. We sometimes get, um, Christians coming to us saying, I think I'm addicted to pornography, please can you help me? And they will say, I watch pornography twice a week for 15, 20 minutes, and I've tried to stop and I can't. Or one guy in particular, I remember, he watched porn once a month for 20 minutes and was convinced that he was addicted because he'd been watching it for 20 minutes once a month for years and been unable to stop. If you think in alcohol terms, if it was against your religious beliefs to drink alcohol you absolutely thought it was wrong to drink alcohol it's against your beliefs but nonetheless you had one glass of wine every saturday that would not make you an alcoholic it's it's a moral conflict for you you believe that it's not right for you it may even have a negative impact because your partner thinks you shouldn't have a glass of wine and you may have tried to stop but it's not escalating so, Kat, um, that was Paula Hall, uh, psychotherapist, therefore working a lot with people who, who are addicted to porn, yeah. but also highlighting that not everyone is necessarily addicted. doesn't mean we don't have to help them. Right. But um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I really appreciate the way that Paula kind of lays that out for people. And, and I do think it's really important that we do that, that we acknowledge that 
occasional low-level pornography use um, doesn't necessarily equal addiction. And I think it's really important that we say that if it's not an addiction, that doesn't mean that we don't offer support. That doesn't mean that it, it isn't necessarily causing a problem in your life. And, you know, you'll hear me and the, the Naked Truth Recovery Team use this language of problematic sexual behaviour. And that's a very intentional step away from the addiction language because historically, I think people have felt that, well, I'm not in the addiction box and so you know there's no help for me or maybe you've got a partner who is married to a man she thought couldn't possibly be interested in pornography and that occasional pornography use feels like a real betrayal for her and it's a real issue in their relationship and often the story that they would tell is well we went to a therapist and he didn't fit the criteria for addiction and so I've been kind of the aspersion that feels like it's being cast is that the problem is therefore mine um, I'm just being prudish and it's not okay for me to to not want that in my relationship. So I think having those sort of criteria laid out is super helpful. And on the other hand, from a sort of church leader perspective, if someone is coming and saying this feels like an addiction, I don't think it's a church leader's job to try to diagnose that necessarily, but it is their job to take seriously the concerns that people bring. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it's so interesting. I think we've been on a journey over the last sort of 10 or so years. I'm sure lots of listeners will be aware that obviously porn has changed drastically when I, so I'm nearly 50. And, you know, when I was a teenager, for example, porn was magazines and VHS videos. Of course, now it's, it's all online. It's all digital. It can be accessed anytime, anywhere. Um, and because of that change in accessibility as much as anything else, I think more and more people are accessing porn who perhaps wouldn't have done. And and so again, I think we've been on this journey where we've seen this huge increase in porn use. Uh, we've seen literally something like 115 million views a day on one website. You know, these are the stats and, and perhaps listeners are aware of this huge increase in porn use. However, um, also there's been this change in understanding that porn, when it was analog, when it was magazines and VHS, uh, you know, um, neuroscientists would say it didn't affect our brains in the same way. It didn't have the same neurological impact as digital porn does. The ability to keep on scrolling, to keep on clicking is different and seems to affect our bodies in a different way. And so the language of addiction, although there's still some debate about it, is, is has been helpful to bring into, I think, the public consciousness, you know, that you can be addicted to this non-substance, like, like you can to online gambling, that there's this possibility that this can be a, a physiological, psychological uh, addiction that somebody has. However, almost as we got better at talking about it, perhaps this is what happens with, with culture and language. We've, we've started to use the words, adopt the words, adopt some understanding. We might have read a few articles now and this be popped up on our news feeds a bit more. And so, so then we just think, oh, okay, was that, is that then the language we're supposed to use? And then that in itself can be 
unhelpful again because not everyone is addicted not everyone wants to be labeled as addicted either uh, and that's that's another thing it's a bit of a challenge isn't it but as you're talking I'm thinking you know there's almost like so Paula talked about um, escalation and tolerance and and how that's a hallmark of addiction and you know we know that with substance users who maybe start off smoking a drug and end up injecting a drug Um, we see that with gambling addicts who are placing 10 pound bets but now they're placing a thousand pound bets Um, but as you're talking I'm I'm thinking there's almost like a a cultural escalation that has happened through the use of digital media and part of what we're trying to help people to do is begin to ask questions about those negative impacts is this as good as I think it is is this so you know there's a there are narratives out there and there are even studies out there that would support the narratives that pornography is good for relationships it's good for people's sex lives and and so you know depending on what you're reading depend will will inform your perspective so yeah just kind of thinking that you know part of what we're trying to do and part of what I would love to see the church begin to do is ask people what are your moral values around this what are your sort of perspectives around the the positive and or negative impacts this might be having on you personally on those around you it's interesting when you talk to men who use pornography um, and that's our primary demographic is men although we do work with women um they will generally have some kind of narrative around, well, I wouldn't really want my, my wife or my daughter doing porn. Um, so they, there's already a sense of kind of conflict for them. And so I think, you know, that's part of the job of the church is to begin that conversation with people. We're going to continue to think a little bit about then whether porn can affect us in a, in a kind of psychological and physiological way not just a spiritual way i think i think let's start with the given and the given is let's just say it that porn is a problem (laughs) for our faith and we don't want to induce shame about that but we also do want to acknowledge that it is not god's intention for humanity uh and and for sexuality and it is not our you know, it's not our purpose. It's not what we're designed for. To, to um, and actually, this that sort of topic is is partly what some of our speakers went dug into as well. We're going to hear a little bit more from another doctor. Uh, we've had Dr. Paula Hall. Uh, we're going to have a uh, Dr. Jake Porter, and uh, he talks a little bit about how um, we are created to function in a particular way. Um, and then how actually that can that can be hijacked um, by porn, um, but that God has created us in a certain way. So let's let's have a little listen to that, uh, and then we'll we'll chat some more. And here's here's the pivot point to talking about porn. God wired into our bodies, our brains, our minds all the biophysiological mechanisms for this purpose. In other words, your physical creation was designed with this end in mind. And so and so we have to understand these biophysiological mechanisms through the lens of God's purpose for us. You know, sex is a biophysiological mechanism. The attachment system is a biophysiological mechanism. Um, Head's law, which is to say neurons that fire together, wire together, is about God's purpose for us as his image bearers to be fulfilled 
in relationships. If we aren't moving toward that purpose, that doesn't remove from us these biophysiological mechanisms. And then these mechanisms get misapplied. And rather than being adaptive for our purpose, they become maladaptive in actually moving us further away from the purpose for which we were designed by God. So in God's design for marriage, we have this biologically wired in attachment system that is activated through proximity, through closeness. Sex does not stop activating the attachment system or forming bonds merely because it's taken outside God's intended context. All right, so, so just because I'm not having sex with my wife and I'm having sex with myself and this digital image, that doesn't stop what sex is designed to do. And so what's happening here is now my the, the system that was designed to connect me with my partner is being hijacked for a different purpose. And if we zoom in specifically with pornography use, what sex is doing is actually reinforcing isolative fantasy-based desires. As I say, the means and the ends are, are reversed. So in other words, here I am and here's my partner, okay? Sex is meant to be the means for me to bond to and express my attachment to, my connection to, my affection for my wife. So sex is a means and my wife, this other person is the end. She's the point, right? She's what I'm trying to get to. And vice versa, this is happening mutually, all right? It's a bi-directional thing. So this it's cultivating this oneness of the covenant. Well, if now I'm taking people, images of people, and I'm using them to get to sex, I have reversed the end and the means. So, so in other words, if I'm, if I'm masturbating to pornography over and over and over again, I'm forming a bond to something. Most people I know don't watch the exact same porn over and over, right? So they're not forming a bond to a particular person or even an image of a particular person. I have heard of people forming bonds to images of particular sex acts, right? Or types of people, this sort of arousal template idea. And that can be reinforced and strengthened. But, but listen, it's isolative. It's not mutual. It's not reciprocal. And the bond that's getting formed is not to a real person. It's to this, this experience, this dopamine-driven, fleshly experience that is based in fantasy. And so then what happens is that is forming us because neurons that fire together wire together. And so we cultivate our cravings based on what we repeat over and over and over again. We cultivate, cultivate our desires based on what we repeat over and over and over again. I found what was interesting about that talk, and it's worth, it's worth saying again, um, that if people want to listen to the whole talk, then uh, these talks are available uh, on the pwordconference.com. And throughout the talk, actually, Jake, 
really does emphasize what we mentioned at the beginning of this episode of, of how this is a hybrid issue. This is something that affects us physically and spiritually. And throughout his talk, he unpacks scripture from New Testament, Old Testament, um, and, and really is just helping us understand the theology of porn in the sense that this is something that is like an idol. You know, it's something that it will pull, pulls us away from our purpose and our relationship with God, but also with with someone else, you know, as God has created us to have. And I think you got a glimpse of that from that clip of how something that is deeply spiritual, uh, you know, marriage, as, as he was describing, you know, his relationship with his, his wife um, and how sex is a reflection of that. Uh, and marriage in itself is a reflection of our relationship with, with God as well. And he talks about that within the talk as well. How that, and he uses this word and you used it as well, you know, how that can be hijacked by porn. Yeah, I think Jake is one of the people who's kind of got his theology together on this, which is really helpful for those of us who are just beginning to kind of think this issue through or, um, you know, finding ourselves kind of stuck in this, like, ah, oh, what science, what scripture and how do they go together? Um, and I was really struck by him talking about, you know, uh, kind of engaging in solo sexual behaviours is about isolation, it's about fantasy, it's about all sorts of things that are just so contrary to how we're designed to live and designed to relate to one another um it kind of answers that question for me of like why doesn't it feel good people come to you and they're like you know this used to feel good and it doesn't feel good anymore and it's like there's this inherent sense of knowing the witness of their spirit is this isn't what i'm made for um and people feel that yeah yeah absolutely and um i think again what's really just helpful for us to understand and just to keep emphasizing because only because perhaps this is maybe the first time you've thought about it in this way is yes this is a discipleship issue yes this is a formational ish issue if that's how, the language you would use this this is something that inherently disrupts you becoming more and more like the person that god has created you to be not just spiritually but also physically that there's something physically that's being disrupted as well as spiritually being disrupted your brain your attachment the bonds that you are the god has created the human being and the human brain to make uh, towards a person, which is all chemical. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, there's a chemical thing that goes on that attaches you and bonds you with another human being. Right. Well, not just your husband, wife or whatever, but even your friends and all the stuff that by spending time with people, you start to, stuff happens in our brain that attaches us and forms bonds with those people. That that, that kind of, Thing that's happening in your brain is also getting disrupted uh, by just pursuing something that's non-relational, that's pursuing something that isolates us physically and therefore spiritually and therefore relationally. And that's as sad as it is, that is the very mechanism that makes pornography so successful that's mm. why it is such a uh, a revenue generating industry because it's tapping into something that is good and that is exactly as it's meant to be but it's warping it and distorting it and and most people don't don't even realize that that's what's happening and so yeah that to me explains the success of the industry now there's a lot more we could be doing and the number of the talks 
at the PWO conference were aimed around this whole area of science. And we had various experts, whether that's the social sciences and people who really understand the impact it might have on us and the way that we relate to ourselves and to other people. And then others who understand some of the neuroscience and some of that brain stuff that we've mentioned briefly in this episode. And so there really is a lot to dig into here. But I'm sure by now you're sort of starting to say, well, okay, so what? What am I meant to do? How am I supposed to speak to somebody who perhaps has come to me saying, I think I'm addicted to porn, uh, as we mentioned earlier as well. And so we just want to finish this episode with a final talk from another um, person called Dan Drake. And uh, Dan, in his talk, talked about lots of different areas. Again, someone with lots of letters behind his name, somebody who's done the the kind of the teaching and the learning around this uh, and works with lots of people who struggle with porn use. Uh, and one of the things he talks about is particularly within the church, the danger that there can be in kind of splitting our behaviours. So how we behave at church and and we're Christians to how we're kind of behaving uh, when we're at home. And so, you know, just because somebody's kind of leading worship in the worship group or because they turn up on Sunday with all smiles doesn't necessarily mean they're not battling some of this stuff. And just that dualistic living is one of the things he, he touches on. But then he goes, on to talk a little bit about just the way that even within our own lives uh, and that that we can kind of be a little bit dualistic in the way we respond to problems, uh, how we cope with life um, and how for us as individuals, even that doesn't necessarily all match up. And so we're going to hear a little bit more from Dan and then we'll begin to finish this episode with some final thoughts about that. The internet itself can be powerful, but I generally see most guys when they're using the pornography or other sexual behaviors to cope. Um, it's generally bec- it's generally meeting a, a non-sexual need in a sexual way. So let me unpack that. So it's meeting a non-sexual need in a sexual way. So I may feel angry, but I don't know how to express my anger. So I can funnel that into pornography use and masturbation, or it kind of becomes a passive aggressive acting out. So I feel rejected or I hurt, abandoned, lonely. I don't know how to, to feel those feelings. I don't know how to express those feelings. So I can use these, uh, these ways as a way of coping. So if I, I might still feel those, those feelings that are really uncomfortable, but if I'm taking out the sexual way that I was coping, then now I've just created a vacuum. So we have to build new ways to cope. Um, one way, one tool for this is uh, three circles. And this came from Sex Addicts Anonymous, but it's a tool. Essentially, you have three concentric circles on the in, inner circle. And I like to think they use inner circle, middle circle, outer circle. I generally think it's easier to say red, yellow, and green circles because we think st- traffic lights, that's kind of easier. Red circle are all the sexual behaviors that are unwanted that I'm abstaining from. The yellow circle, that kind of middle circle, is all the things that uh, could lead me to the inner circle. And that could be sexual triggers, but it could be emotional triggers. It could be negative core beliefs. So I'm humiliated at work, and what do I do with that humiliation? I'm going to find a way to get even, um, but maybe I can't express it uh, directly. So I'm going to find a way to, to feel validated, reassured. I'm going to feel, you know, find a way to, to, to be taken care of. Um, 
in a sexual way because I don't know another way to manage that. So the three circles then, if I'm triggered in that yellow circle, what do I do in a healthy way? That's all that green circle, all the things that I'm gonna be doing instead. So if I'm in that example, I'm humiliated, I feel less than, I feel insecure or inadequate or weak or defective, if I'm feeling all those things, um, I can do a bunch of different things. I could uh, reach out to trusted people that know me, that love me, that can affirm me and build me up in an emotional way, not in a sexual way. Um, I can, I can maybe challenge the validity of those things, of those those experiences. Is that really true that I'm defective and uh, weak and unlovable and all that kind of stuff? Or is it more likely that this person, if I'm someone's humiliating me, it's probably more about them than it is about me. So hopefully, if I can start to to not personalize it as much, um, you know, go back to what is true about myself. Um, I reach out to other people I, in safe ways. I, you know, basically I do all these these different things to counteract the the experience that aren't going to create shame. Because if I if I'm triggered emotionally and then I choose a sexual activity to cope with that emotion, now I just add shame to the mix because after afterwards I don't feel good about myself. I feel bad. So now not only did I not solve the the feeling that kind of led me there in the first place, I've just added shame to the mix. And now I have to cope with that shame. And because I don't have another way to cope with shame, I'm going to go right back into the cycle and, and do the behaviors over again. Um, so, and that could be, yeah, so I'll just say that. Uh, one thing I, I share with my guys, and this might sound like a lot, but as you're identifying triggers, things that, that kind of lead you down there to, to the slippery slope towards acting out, um, I find it helpful to have three to five outer circle or kind of those green circle coping strategies. Um, if you don't have one, you can't think of one thing to do for your trigger, then your brain and your body will have an answer, which is to cope sexually. So we have to come up with alternatives and practice those. So that was Dan Drake. And I think a few different things there um, that he mentioned that feel important. I mean, one of the things I think that's really key is um, him highlighting that for many people, porn use is a coping mechanism. It's a way of kind of self-soothing, of dealing with negative emotions, whether that's anger or insecurity or, or frustration or whatever. And that he uses this phrase of dealing with a non-sexual issue with in a sexual way. Um, and of course, because of all the kind of stuff we've talked about in neuroscience and the way that you there is a chemical hit there's a dopamine hit that is attached to sex and porn use it, it is a an effective self-soothing mechanism uh it is you know you do feel an initial you know chemical release that can can make you feel a bit better for a while and right. then and then the shame floods in and then everything else happens uh but but in terms of a quick fix for an, an, a negative emotion, it, it's there, it's available, it's normally free. That's it, right. it, it works for people. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't deal with the, the emotional 
problem that that's been triggered it doesn't deal with what's maybe broken or fractured it doesn't deal with actually what is quite healthy emotions like anger and sadness and things that actually we if we're emotionally healthy people we need to learn how to deal with just because i'm angry doesn't mean i've i have a problem necessarily or if i'm sad doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me and that's another i guess facet to this isn't it yeah absolutely and you know speaking as a person in recovery from addiction i think you know, we, the reason we do these behaviours or we take these substances is because it does work. Like, mm. And, you know, I often say to our clients, when I first got into recovery, if there was an option for you can still t- take drugs, but you but not have the negative consequences, that would have probably been my first choice because there was something about that that was working for me. And really the problem was in the the outside consequences that came alongside that. So, you know, yeah, we need to we need to be talking and we will talk in later episodes about kind of what are we replacing that with? And that's what Dan was talking about here. But I think you're what you're saying is really true in that, you know, we talk about discipleship as a uh, as an important piece of how we do church and how people grow in their spirituality. Um, but I really think that spiritual health and spiritual maturity has to include emotional health and emotional maturity. And and sadly, often for, for the clients that we see, it really hasn't. There's been um, a separation of spiritual and emotional things, and, and they haven't always known how to bridge those gaps. But what's interesting about what Dan said is when you hear what he's talking about in terms of those green circle behaviours, those healthy replacement behaviours, those are spiritual things. They're, they're the stuff of church. That's community. It's confession. It's safe relationships where I can be myself. It's rewriting the lies I'm believing about who I am with what God says about who I am. And I kind of love that, you know. So when I got into recovery, somebody uh, told me an analogy. They said that um, I was like a, an, a cup and that somewhere along the line, somebody had put something on top of it. And so the light couldn't get in. And the process of recovery, which was both spiritual and practical and, and kind of therapeutic, was about removing this thing, this barrier that was over the top of my cup so that the light could get in. And, and I love that idea that actually by kind of walking the walk, by living this Christian lifestyle of community confession, remembering our identity, speaking truth and claiming truth, um, I can I can actually grow closer to God through action. And, you know, he will grow, grow closer to me as he promises to do. I think that's that's amazing to see those two things come together in that way. Yeah. And I, I think there's also another element to this, which is that... Um, these kind of practices, you know, healthy emotional uh, kind of responses uh, or ways to to be emotional healthy uh, as part of our spiritual journey, that that's necessary for everyone. Absolutely. And, and so, again, I think as a church, for us to recognize that, you know, when we're teaching people how to deal with sadness, when we're teaching people how to deal with uh, disappointment or, or insecurity, and, and we teach people how they can walk through those emotions in, in a healthy way within, in community and with Christ, Actually, that's preventative work as well when it comes to porn, you know, that because and and we need to have those honest conversations of how, you know, is porn one of the ways you're coping? 
And if, if it is, we need to replace that, that coping mechanism with something that is actually, you know, better, uh, whatever that might look like. Um, but even when we're preaching, you know, on a Sunday about, uh, you know, it's okay to, to not be okay uh, and, and to walk with Jesus through that process is, is really part of how we actually tackle porn as well, which is probably, you know, we don't always, my point is you don't always have to be saying the word porn to be tackling the issue of porn. Well, and um, this is the, the river, right? Yeah. So how, part of how we pull people out of the river is we acknowledge they don't have the tools. And so what, what we're doing in our recovery groups is just trying to give people the tools that they didn't get upriver. But if we can also get upriver, and discipleship is the perfect place for this, and we can give them the tools before they've even gotten too close to the edge, then they don't fall in in the first place. Yeah. And so that yeah. seems like a, a perfect solution. One final thing to say on this point. It's interesting here, I think, with what Dan was saying is, you know, what he's talking about is some of the deep stuff that happens in, in you know, what in church we'd call our heart, you know, the emotions and how we deal with the emotions. And, I, I'm, you know, I'm reminded of Proverbs 4 where it talks about, uh, you know, guarding our hearts. And again, I guess as leaders, those of you that are leaders who are listening, you know, how do, how do we help people guard their hearts well. Um, and I think often we think of guarding our hearts. Uh, there's there's kind of two types of guards. You know, you've, you have kind of bodyguards that know when people are vulnerable, know, you know, they're walking along by the car and they're looking at all the kind of, you know, the, the high windows going, okay, that's a vulnerable point uh, or whatever. And helping people recognize their vulnerabilities, their emotional vulnerabilities is one way of guarding your yeah. heart. But the other thing to notice is that the other type of guard you get are prison guards. You know, the people actually are stopping, you know, that is recognizing that the danger, if you like, is within and I think, you know, the Bible talks about how our heart is deceptive and, and all that kind of stuff. It lies to us. And just, I think, for us to acknowledge that sometimes guarding our hearts is recognizing that, yeah, there's an enemy out there, a spiritual enemy. There's, there's Satan and, and there's porn and the industry and it's all out there. And how can we guard ourselves from what's out there is important to figure out. Um, but also, how do we guard ourselves from what's in here? <laughs> You know, how do we guard ourselves from, you know, some of the, the lies we tell ourselves about what is what we need and some of the stuff there. And, and so, again, trying to help people really face up to some of these things. You know, actually, it's not always because someone's, you know, battling a lust problem. Maybe they're battling a deep-rooted insecurity. And that is then causing them to act in a sexual way to something that's not sexual. And, and so that's about knowing our hearts and knowing what's within us. And I think Dan just highlights that in his talk there, which is interesting. Yeah, that's good. Really, that's that's the crux of the problem, actually. We talk about in our groups, we talk about porn being the anesthetic. So the first thing we need to do is, is stop the using. But then we're trying to find out, like, now the anesthetic's gone, where's the pain? And then then we've got something to work with. Yeah. So I think that's probably enough for this episode. Lots to say. And as I say, also lots more that you can listen to if you want to dig a little bit deeper into this idea um, and this topic of science versus scripture, the spiritual versus the physical. 
prayer versus therapy, all, all these things. And, and I think hopefully even from, from this episode, you've begun to see that they are much more interwoven than perhaps sometimes we give credit for. But there is a lot more content on uh, the P Word website. So pwordconference.com is a great way to access that content. And some of the things that we've mentioned in this episode, we will dive much deeper into as well in further episodes. So we will talk a little bit more about how do we replace the vacuum that can be created by stopping porn by actually starting something that is more healthy, for example. And so we will also talk a lot more about what are the practical things you can do to support those that are struggling with porn. That's another episode. So I hope you found this helpful uh, and hope you keep listening. This is the P Word podcast brought to you by Naked Truth Project. If you'd like to learn more about our work, please visit nakedtruthproject.com.